Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is Gail Sylvia at sylviaglobal.com. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're excited to be here in Modaing, Israel. Modaing is located halfway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And our incredible guest this um, evening is Dr. Jamie Traeger Muni. And she is the founding principal of the Wealth Legacy Group, specializing in wealth psychology and family systems. Her area of expertise is the emotional impact of wealth on inheritors, women, and couples. Jamie also has the distinction of being the first psychologist ever to be hired as an employee of a bank and to work with the bank's clients. She worked as a wealth, a family wealth consultant and multifamily office platform serving families with $50 million and above in investable assets. Dr. Jamie Traeger-Muni, thank you so much for being on Sylvia Global today. How are you? I'm doing great. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Quite an honor. We're excited. The, we have um, you and your partner, your managing partner at Wealth Legacy Group, Emily Bouchard, are going to be hosting an incredible series uh, for Sylvia Global listeners over the next few months around the psychology of wealth and family systems, but we have the distinct opportunity today to get to know you more personally and to have you share some of your experiences and family um, experiences uh, with our audience so that they can connect with you at a different level. So thank you so much for being open to this conversation today. Why are you, where, where, tell us where you were originally born and a little bit about your background leading up to where you are today in Israel. Right. Yes, I did not grow up here. I actually uh, was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, um, and uh, then spent a good amount of time of my adult life in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and uh, growing up, I grew up in a um, a family. Uh, you know, I think I'm a product of the work that I do is a product of where I came from. And uh, I stand on the shoulders of the people that came before me. My father started a uh, business, a family business, of which my husband was a part of for a time being, um, and my sister and my brother are currently part of. Um, we also uh, work together as a family foundation. So um, I got interested very early in conversations that weren't being had and were being had. We were an open family about money and wealth, and yet there were still a lot of taboos. And I remember growing up, some of the most difficult um, or embarrassing moments were, uh, you know, driving home with a group of people and uh, a friend might say, oh, look, Jamie lives in such a big house. And um, it was just, you know, one of those moments when I sort of wanted to disappear um, because it was embarrassing and I felt different. 
Um, and as I, I grew up, I thought a lot about um, wealth and the ability to speak of it or the inability to speak of it. And it's really shaped who I am. I, I've also feel that I'm very much a product of my mother. Um, she's a psychologist, so growing up in her footsteps, she went back to school when I was growing up and got her Ph.D., um, when I graduated high school. So really has been a role model for me as a woman. Um, you know, it was at a time where mothers, some mothers worked, not many of my mother's friends worked or my friend's mother's worked, but uh, I got to see my mother. Um, she actually went back to school. She got married when she was 19 years old, and she had never graduated from undergraduate degree. So with an undergraduate, undergraduate degree. So I watched her finish her undergraduate degree, get two master's degrees, and eventually get a PhD. Was um, your mother involved then, with the family business? No, it was really at that point my my dad's business and um, his dream, you know, although I will say any, you know, there's never just, you know, that's uh the art of having a family and a business requires that at some level everybody be a participant. And um, there were certainly things that my mother did to support our family that enabled my dad to to work and do um, the business. So I think, you know, while she didn't have a direct role, she certainly had a role. Um, and they were both very supportive of one another. You know, at the same time, my mother couldn't have gone back to school and had three children at the same time without the support of my father. So I think that um, they both recognized early on and I think really passed down to us as children the value of um, challenging yourself, of finding a passion, of being of service in whatever way um, seems meaningful to you, about thinking about yourself in the context of a larger community and world. Um, they were both uh, and continue to be very philanthropic. So we not only got to, to hear what their values were, but we really got to see um, them in action around their values. And um, I think for all of us, we're, we're three siblings. I'm the oldest. I have a sister who's three years younger than me and a brother who's six years younger. We all have really embraced our parents' values, some, you know, on, on different areas, but I think we're very much, again, a product of of our upbringing. Um, Jimmy, how, and did, then, how did you ahead. see your mother's role, and did your image and impression of what her role was change as you grew older? It's a great question. I, I have very strong memories um, of my mother. I, I don't know why this was, but I remember learning in school that it was important to have a good credit rating, because if you, as, particularly as a woman. I went to an all-girls school from the time I was in second grade to 12th grade. Um, I remember learning that it was important to have a good credit rating and somehow got into a conversation with my mother about her credit rating and learned that she, while there was certainly sufficient funds, she wasn't always good about paying her credit card bills on time. And, um, you know, we started talking about that. She she was sort of a tennis mom. She played a lot of tennis in my early years. And um, I don't think it was as engaging for her 
as it was when she started going back to school and really finding what her passion was. She started out in art. She went to art therapy, um, and then she got the Ph.D. in psychology. And now today she continues to do both the art and the and the uh, psychology. Um, and it really shifted who she was. She became much more responsible, much more confident and competent. Um, and it really was a model for me, although I also think there was a piece where she felt conflicted as a mother. She would say sometimes, um, you know, oh, I should be the kind of mother that has cookies waiting for you when you come home. Um, which really wasn't the kind of mother that I wanted. I was very, very proud of her, so I am. Um, but I could hear that conflict. And, you know, as a mother myself today, I, I recognize that conflict of, um, you know, our, our role as mother being so primary and yet also wanting to um, have careers and have lives that are outside of the house and feeling torn. Is your mom still alive? Absolutely. Both, thank goodness, both my parents are very much alive. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So tell us, um, what took you to Israel? Well, you know, backing up just a little bit, part of uh, what I did growing up, one of the biggest gifts that I think my parents gave us also, um, particularly growing up in Columbus, Ohio, was um, one of the values that we had around money was using it to travel. And we really traveled extensively growing up as a family, and we would always have to do reports about different countries and learn about the cultures and really open my eyes to that the whole world, you know, remarkably didn't look like Columbus, Ohio, or particularly the small area in Columbus, Ohio, where I grew up. Um, so I had a much broader perspective, and it was always something – that I was fascinated by. So when I went to uh, college, I decided my junior year to study abroad in Israel. I'd met a friend over the summer in the States, and she lived in Israel. So it's part of why I decided to go there. And um, while I was there, I subsequently met my future husband. I didn't know it at the time. Um, but uh, that that was, you know, a big part of our are moving here. And as our relationship progressed, one of the things that I fell in love with him about was that he was extremely passionate. And his passion was about Israel and was about helping there to be peace in the region. And he was, you know, even at a very young age, so I met him when he was um, 21. He, you know, was really, he had studied for the summer in Egypt. He was learning Arabic. He was learning Hebrew. He was um, planning to go to graduate school in international relations, and I loved his enthusiasm, his passion, his drive. Um, and we eventually got married. And he, before, let me back up a little. Before we got married, he um, he was moving to Israel right out of college, and um, we had been dating. And I said, Oh, you know, I'm planning to go to Israel too. We'll date in Israel. So we. We lived together for two years while we were in Israel, and during that time, he tried to convince me that I really wanted to live with him in Israel, and I said, listen, it's a non-starter. And, you know, I love Israel. It's very meaningful to me, but my family is in the state. We don't have any relatives there, and I'm not moving to Israel. So um, 
we did get married, and that was always always sort of a bone of contention in, in our marriage is, you know, would we move to Israel? Would we not move to Israel? Um, you know, I wanted to go back and get my PhD. Um, so we did that. And uh, we just sort of went along and we managed. He did things um, to satisfy that craving. He um, he started a business with a partner that's an international summer camp here in Israel. So he was spending three months a year in Israel, but it still wasn't sufficient for him. And then when I had graduated um, and really decided to focus my practice on the emotional impact of wealth, I suddenly the light turned on of what it meant to have a calling and a passion. And it was really what I fell in love with my husband about because he had that. And it was always something that I felt like I wanted, but I didn't, I didn't have it for myself. And you could see you could see it in him, but you didn't necessarily see that same degree of passion in your own self. Is that what you're meaning? Exactly. I didn't have an outlet for it. I didn't have a focus for it. I I often said to him, it was like a joke that I didn't get. You Mm. know, I could almost get the joke, you know, the joke. And Mm. and it was like he was so passionate about it. I was trying so hard to get it at the same level that he did, but I I kept missing. And Mm. when I found my own calling and passion, it really clicked for me. Even though our passions and our callings are different, that I I, I see what it means and the um, fullness that having a passion and a calling and really feeling like you have something to offer to make a difference, how important that is in somebody's life. So when I went to work uh, at Wells Fargo, I developed a program for them called Wealth is Worth and, for, and Fulfillment. And it really was helping families to articulate their values, to decide what their vision is for the future. How do they want to use their wealth? What do they see as the plan for the wealth? Why are they accumulating this wealth? And then taking action to use their financial resources in service of their goals. And it was such fabulous work, and I loved working with families, but I started to have this sort of um, niggling thought in the back of my head that uh, I was uh, talking a good talk, but I wasn't walking my talk. Um, Because I had this partner that I loved dearly who I wasn't supporting in his dream. And his dream was, you know, really wanting to make the world a better place. How could I not... Uh, you know, get enrolled in that. So uh, after a couple of years, I came home and I said to him, listen, um, I one of the exercises I, I would do with clients was for them to think about how they wanted to re- be remembered or what their life had been like, you know, if they could imagine that they were on their deathbed. And I kept thinking I would hate for my husband to be on his deathbed and to think if only I had followed my dream. And that I was a big part of not helping him do that. That really, um, I couldn't live with myself for that. So I I said to him, why don't we try moving to Israel? uh, My oldest uh, child, who's a son, was just graduating from elementary school. It seemed like a good time. You know, there's a lot of research that said, um, that kids who move in their teenage years, that it's harder to make a transition to a new country and a new culture. 
So, you know, the window was closing, and I said, let's try it. I'm not sure that I can do it. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not very good with languages. I have um, a hearing problem, so it impacts how I do with languages. Um, I said, I'm not sure that I can do it, but I want to um, support you in what you want to do. Um, and can I, Jamie? Can I ask you a couple questions? Absolutely. Let's um, just back, um, take a couple steps back. It's like he was born knowing his fully connected with his passion, and then others of us have to grow into our passion. And it sounds like you grew, you you came to eventually land on a spot in your life that you, you found you were passionate about. And passion runs so deep. You know, it's almost like we, we when we're passionate about a calling, Everything else is doesn't quite matter the same because we're incomplete unless we respond to the calling. And so he knew at a much younger, earlier stage in his life what he was passionate about, and then you had to find your own area, and it it started to unfold. Is that is that accurate for describing sure. your experience and your perspective on the two the difference? You know the difference in your path, you know, arriving at your place of passion? Absolutely. And, you know, it's amazing because um, I do a lot of work with clients, and oftentimes what we fall in love with someone for is also the thing that we are most challenged in our relationship about. Mm -hmm. So I fell in love with him because of this passion, and it you know, it has also been very challenging for me because it required something of me that was that was very big um, and something that, honestly, I wasn't sure that I was capable of, of giving to him. Um, and so, you know, you know that, that was an interesting, an interesting piece of our relationship. But I think also... Even for me, I, I, you know, I think as we unravel anyone's life, you see the building blocks of how someone's passion starts to develop. And you also, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You also made a comment earlier that a couple years later you came home and said, okay, let's give this a try. Let's move to Israel. It's not like you got up one morning you had a conversation at night, you know, at dinner the night before, and then the next morning you got up and just you were able to say, "Okay, let's let's go." It, it took it took time for all of this to unfold. It took a lot of time. It took. We were married for seventeen years before it unfolded. Wow. Um, and even you know maybe sixteen years when I said to him, "Let's do it," and even in that year preparation. I had to do a lot of work, and I um, got mentored by a wonderful man who really helped me conceptualize it because he said, listen, it's not going to work for you to just say you're doing this for your husband because then anything that goes wrong is going to be his fault. Right. You have to go being fully responsible for yourself and saying that you'll make a life for yourself and you'll find what you need to have um, – still your calling there. And um, that was even more challenging. Um, I think I was sort of willing at first to say, you know, very magnanimously, I will, 
I'll agree to go. But in my head, it was sort of, um, you know, if anything went wrong, it was going to be his fault. And, you know, that wasn't being responsible as an adult for me. So then coming to it in a way of, okay, how can I move and make it something that will also um, be a benefit for me and that I will take care of myself and not abdicate that responsibility to him. Um, that took a lot a lot of self-work for me. How did you identify someone to help you work through your own self-work? Well, I was very fortunate. Um, when I Right before I went to work at Wells Fargo, um, I think they were doing a little uh, background check on me, and I got a couple different calls from people who knew other people, you know, the six degrees of separation. But I got connected with a wonderful man named Jay Hughes, who um, is very big in the field of family consulting. And his background is as a family lawyer, and he's written some wonderful books about um, how families can flourish and about family wealth. And it happened that he was in in San Francisco, and he invited me to come and meet with him. And um, we had a terrific relationship. The first thing he said to me was, do you see yourself as having a business or a practice? He said, a business is something that you have products that you sell to people, and a a practice is somebody who thinks about their clients first and is always holding them in the highest regard. It isn't about making the money. Um, And it was such a perfect question for me going into Wells Fargo. You said, you know, you'll really have to be careful to maintain the practice because you're going into a business model. Um, And I asked him subsequently if he, one of the things that he writes about and talks about for families is the role of the elder and the role of the mentor. So I asked him if he would be, it seemed very daring for me because, you know, he's such a big name in our field, but I asked him if he would uh, agree to be a mentor to me. And so I've been had the great pleasure um, to work with him over a number of years. And sometimes, most of the time, our work is really around the professional aspect, but sometimes it's really about how do you live that which you um, work with clients around. So um, he was really helpful to me as I started to discuss what would it be like to move to Israel and how could I do it in a way that would work for our family. How many times per month or per week did you meet with him? We met fairly consistently on a, I'm trying to think, um, Now we sort of meet um, maybe every other month, but there was there was a a long you know, and this has been over the course of now three years since I've been here three years, so probably five or six years. There were times that we met on a consistent base, weekly basis. um, Times when we met monthly, and now we're sort of meeting every other month. Um, But uh, he has been a tremendous mentor and really you know as i said i'm i'm always watching other people and thinking then about the roles i want to play uh you know i i look forward to the day and and hope that i can then 
serve as an elder and a mentor for somebody else um, in the future. Um, and the field of wealth psychology, I found people are very generous in that way. People really want to serve one another. And a lot of it comes from Jay's example. Well, talk to us. You know, we're I we're going to have to do a part two on this conversation because we have so much more, um, so many more questions to um, have you respond to. But talk to us about the adjustment there and just how this experience of moving your family to a new country with two children who are now 11 and 14, and this tremendous calling of your husband and you know, and how, you know, these moments when life might seem, um, when it's more important to to walk our talk and to model that for our children and for ourselves and what that has meant now that you've been in Israel for three years. Thank you. Yes, I mean, just as I saw my parents be role models for me, it was also very important for me, that our children saw us supporting each other in um, not only in our roles as parents, but in our calling. And I also thought that this would be a tremendous opportunity for my children to um, struggle, which might sound a little odd, but I think that uh, we should all be challenged at some point to test our mettle and to see how resilient we could be. And I wasn't sure that growing up, you know, in an upper middle class society was really going to give them that exposure to know themselves and know how strong they could be. And I saw Israel as an opportunity because they were going to go into a completely new culture with a very new language as that opportunity. Um, now, they had mixed feelings about it. My son was thrilled and delighted because I think he also feels quite a calling to Israel. And my daughter, you know, told us she hated us and couldn't believe that we were taking her away from her grandparents. My parents, you know, lived close by. My sister lived close by. Um, and it's amazing to see. It was a very, it was a very challenging transition. It was um, you know, the year before, and I would say two years in, um, a, a big roller coaster, um, and it it was amazing. I, I, I'm in total awe of my children. I have to tell you that uh, my daughter, who has incredible emotional intelligence, even though she was eight years old, first of all, you know, we lived in, in Oakland, California, so the first thing she came home and complained about was that there was no not enough diversity for her here, um, which which I just thought she was thinking about. But then the other thing she said was, do you know how hard it is to go to school for eight hours a day and hear your teachers say blah, 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 because she didn't understand anything. Mm. Um, and now I watch them, and they move so fluidly in this new society. I mean, you know, they even have brilliant to me brilliant accents you know they completely surpassed me in language you know and they're at the point where they say please please don't talk in front of our friends um, <laughs> they'll translate for you <laughs> right right they don't want they don't want to you know they, it's, it's a complete immigrant experience they don't want the accent to come out 
Um, and the amount of independence, what's remarkable is so many people say to me, oh, how could you live in Israel? It, isn't it so dangerous there? But um, on a day-to-day -day basis, I feel that we have so much more personal safety and the independence that my children are afforded by living here in terms of being able to go on a public bus by themselves, being able to go to the mall by themselves, being able to walk um, in the evenings without my worrying about them, um, and just that ability to do things with friends. You know, we live in a smaller town, certainly, than Oakland, so they're able to walk to different places and, you know, go to the store and buy things. It's tremendous to see them. And I think um, time will tell. You know, my, my son is still thrilled that we're here, and my daughter, uh, she's very happy, but, uh, you know, she, she still uh, says she'd prefer to live in the States. But I think they'll look back, and I think that their lives will be significantly altered by this move and by knowing that whatever situation they get put in in the future, they can trust themselves. And even if things are difficult and challenging, that they know that they can get through it because they've done it. And, you know, are you, you saying can that the opportunity to struggle is a part of what, what you're anticipating is going to define and build their character because they'll also learn that they can survive and be self-dependent through other life struggles based on these this experience? Absolutely. And I think of it particularly for families that have wealth. You know, my, my dad grew up very lower middle class, and he said that the reason that he succeeded in business was because he was hungry, because there were things he wanted to do and he needed the money to do them. And he said one of the things that he felt like he never gave us as children or that he robbed us of is that ability to be hungry in that same way. And this was a way that I thought of I could have a similar experience for my children. Um, you know, that they could feel like they tested themselves and they they came out triumphant and that they would be able to utilize that knowledge in other areas as they continue to be tested throughout their lives. But probably not to the degree that uh, moving to a new country required of them. How would you encourage mothers in particular but parents to trust their own decisions even in the face of objection from their children in order to give their children these opportunities to struggle and work through challenges? Well, I think one of the things that we always work with clients around and certainly was true for me in this situation was um, something that we call for the sake of what? Why are you doing that what you're doing? So because I articulated for myself and with my husband that I was willing to put my children through this um, challenging experience because I wanted them to see the growth, I was able to draw on that. And sometimes it was very difficult. I mean, 
Yeah, Sylvia, there were times that we picked our little eight-year-old up kicking and screaming and took her to school. Um, she used to love school when she was in the States, but, you know, she was so distraught. So I really, had I not had something to fall back on, a reason why I was doing this, an overarching reason, um, I think it, it, it would have been very hard to stay to stay firm in the decision. But because I could see a larger benefit, a long-term benefit, um, we were both able to to survive through those shorter-term difficulties. And we had to say it to ourselves a lot, repeating what we thought we were giving our children um, as we saw them struggle. Well, Jamie Traeger Mooney, I we have to have you come back and continue talking through your life experiences and your children and families' experiences so that we can encourage and empower our listeners to be not to be afraid to embrace their own dreams and their own passions, but to actually um face the opportunity as a wonderful way to be in sync with, you know, greater good that could happen in their lives. I would thank, be delighted to do that. Thank you so much for being here with us today. This is Gail Sylvia, host of Sylvia Global. Our special guest today, Dr. Jamie Traeger Muni, um, ca- talking to us here in Israel about the life of the dream, you know, and embracing the passion. And you will hear much more from Jamie and her partner in business. Emily Bouchard with the Wealth Legacy Group and future episodes of Sylvia Global. Thank you so much, Jamie. Have a good night. Thank and you. We'll Enjoy be in touch day. soon. We'll talk to you soon. This broadcast Thank is available you. on iTunes as a podcast. Please follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and have your friends join us and we'll be talking to you again soon.